Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. It's your host, Travis. Today on the show, we have Gustavo Dantes. He has a fifth degree uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and he is a phenomenal guest. Today, we discuss topics ranging from starting your journey, you know, how it was. He started Jiu-Jitsu in 1989, so things were a little bit different back then. So we talk about how things have progressed from the, you know, late 80s, early 90s to now. We talk about his journey his mindset about things, how he approaches teaching kids or teaching people, new practitioners. And then we go into his uh, nonprofit called Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. And it is a phenomenal nonprofit. Everything's for the organization will be down in the description below if you guys want to check it out. Um, but he helps out, you know, um, disenfranchised youth and people in Brazil and in uh, impoverished areas and teaches them or brings jujitsu to them and gives them kind of like a boys and girls club or a way to help these people get off the streets and to not fall into the trap of drug dealing and all a life of crime and hopefully impact them enough to where they you know go the right the right path with that so gustavo is a phenomenal guest he gives amazing answers to every question and brings an insight that is not felt in a long time and it's 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 a great it's honestly very good there was like listening to him tell stories about visiting brazil and you know the forgotten people of brazil and whatnot it really like makes you think man one we're very lucky to live in the united states and have the amenities we do and the things that we do and then two it makes you want to help others it inspires you to want to help others so if you guys want to check out jiu-jitsu tribe like i said everything is going to be down in the description below five dollars recurrent payment is a huge help gustavo goes into into how that helps and it's just it's just a great conversation and i love talking to people that are using jiu-jitsu to make a difference in people's lives so if that's something you want to get involved with check that out down below uh remember go to elbows for all your elbows tight swag and then you know just follow us elbows tight everywhere so thank you guys so much for listening and watching at home and let me know what you think all right peace breaking news manscape now sells beard products that's right they are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new beard hedger pro kit from a beard trim to a fresh shave the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make sure your drapes match your carpet. By going to manscaped.com and using the code ETP20 for 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's ETP20 for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to the stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. My wife hates when I have stubble. She actually, she's like, don't even kiss me trim that mustache and th thanks Man manscape for making it possible now it all starts with the beard hedger this thing is a juggernaut for fixing faces first off the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 haircutting lengths all with one guard so no more messy drawers full of extras and add-ons that's right face grooming doesn't need to be hard get 20 different beard lengths and just one guard the pro beer kit also comes with three free gifts a beer brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off in free shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code ETP20. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Thanks, Manscaped, for sponsoring this episode. Hey. 
Good morning, Gustavo. How are you doing today, man? Thank you for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were chit-chatting a little bit before, and uh, man, I, I'm excited to talk about your jiu-jitsu journey, um, your nonprofit that you have, and all the great work you're doing down in Brazil with your with the jiu-jitsu and everything like that. But before we get into all that, let's go ahead and jump to um, a backstory of who you are as a practitioner and how you got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and whatnot. Yeah, I started training in 1989, and back when, I think a lot of people have the misconception that everyone knew what jiu-jitsu was in Brazil, <laughs> and it really wasn't like that. You know, definitely there was a, a big boom in 91, as, at least in Rio, my experience from living, growing up in Rio, and by 93, uh, definitely uh, the UFC, but not because of the, the UFC did help. But that was when they had like the first Brazilian Nationals. Mm -hmm. uh, before CBJJ, they had one. And then actually Robert Drysdale talks about this on his books and stuff. So people have interest in learning more about history. Robert's doing a great job with that, about that competition scene in Brazil. So I kind of grew up around that, that time. Grew up in jiu-jitsu. Uh, I was aware of jiu-jitsu for a long time since my, my dad trained like like early seventies, um, late um, late sixty for for a little bit, and then I didn't grow up with him. But he used to show my brother uh, jujitsu, and my brother's four years older. So my brother used to say like, oh, "I want to start driving. Um, I want to train jujitsu." And I always say like, "Oh, but you know, whatever the older brother is doing, like I want to do jujitsu too." <laughs> so eventually came came that time, and my brother in Brazil, you start driving at eighteen. So my brother started training before, and a few months after I did, I did a train judo when I was about 10, 10 or 11. I really enjoyed bad grades. My mom got me out of judo, so it took me a while for me to become like an okay student. And, and then finally get to train. So I, when I wanted to go back to judo, then my brother uh, suggested me to do jiu-jitsu. And so I took a class. And, Fell in love because I really enjoy judo. And yeah, man, I, I never stopped. And my brother trained for about maybe like six months. He used to have some like issues with lower back and stuff like that and started doing swimming for therapy and then ended up getting involved with triathlon. And to this day, he does Ironman, Ultraman, uh, oh, like man. the Ultraman is a double Ironman, 24 hour marathon. So basically, he is a triathlete, uh, triathlon coach too in Portugal. So basically, uh, I put I went all in in jujitsu. He went all in in triathlon. Did you feel um, that since you were able to start jujitsu, like the other stuff that was stopping you from being able to do jujitsu, like your grades and, and whatnot? Did you feel like it was easier to keep that stuff up because you were like, man, I'm loving jujitsu. I, I can't I can't give this up. I gotta I gotta stay on top of my A game with everything else to continue to train. I don't think it was necessarily that is because in brazil the school system is very different than mm -hmm. u.s and through my journey i went from being a good student to um kind of not becoming one long story but like basically by the time of like when i got in seventh grade i went to a, from a, a little weaker school to a to a stronger one and in brazil it's very different like even if you like 
if you fail like four subjects, um, basically you do the the whole school year again, even oh, the wow. ones that you had good grades. You know, so I had to do seventh grade twice. So I felt like for me, it was my um, kind of wake up call in a way, because I just just the way I felt, you know, like other students moving on and then and I was doing the seventh grade again. And then and that's when I really noticed for the first time that I had issues with like basically ADD and then not paying attention. I remember just sitting of. When I when I came back, you know, for my second seventh grade, I was like, okay, I'm gonna sit in the first row. I'm gonna pay attention. So I'll sit right in front, right in front of the teacher, and I'm like, okay, I am paying attention. And that is about that would last about ten seconds, and I'll be gone. <laughs> right there and, with you. <laughs> and then I started to realize that I started getting frustrated because I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm really trying, and I'm real. And then I realized that, you know, it took me longer. Uh, to definitely learn because I consistently space out and I had to spend more time at home, you know, like uh, finding better techniques for me to, to learn. Plus my mom, you know, got me like with a tutor to help. And then mm -hmm. I became like a decent, uh, a decent uh, student. I would say more like a um, C C plus B minus, but like I'm happy with it. You know, it's going, it's going well from Yo, what it used to be. That's good for me too. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I'm very happy. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, I so I don't say that necessarily the jujitsu uh, was for me to get on track. Was for me like, man, um, I guess I need to put the extra time to work so I don't like I just don't want to do another school year again. You yeah. Know? So I so I made a good improvement. Did you feel like you're, because I have ADHD and my oldest son, he's undiagnosed, but it's, uh, if someone that has it can recognize it, you know what I mean? And uh, in in class, he'll have a hard time paying attention a lot of the times too. He'll be like wandering off and, and like looking at things and then he'll snap back to it and, you know, all those memes of like, like, wait, what did we just, what, what are we, what's the technique we're supposed to be doing? Did you, how did you overcome that in your, in, when you first started in your journey? Honestly, I don't think that I even realized that I had that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I knew that because uh, we're talking like early nineties, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that it's like some type of like mental health talk, yeah. or you know what I mean? Yep. Like, or did, I had no clue. I just, I just for the first time realized, like, oh wow, I have a lot. You know, I have a hard time paying attention, but I didn't. I didn't realize how much how much that interfered my whole life growing up socially speaking uh or paying attention or just being in my own little world you know and I never pay attention until I was like an adult adult to be yeah, honest same. like over my 30s like that I really realized the damage I'm like oh crap you know with through through my personal development journey that I start to understand more to start to understand more patterns and I uh, got involved with mental coaching, life coaching, all that stuff, you know, just got me more motivated to learn more about therapies and retreats. And, and I felt that long term that st it doesn't end, right? The process, right. the personal development journey doesn't end. But I felt like jujitsu competition in a way, that's what uh, I feel that was my my. That's how I got intro uh, my introduction to personal development through like 
feeling competition anxiety, understand like, okay, I need to get to the bottom of this, why I'm feeling this way. And that I started more like studying for performance. Uh, and then that started to get more like, okay, not just my mental, I need to understand my emotional aspect, my spiritual aspect. So it has been a process then every year. I feel like I learn a little bit, but man, we got so much to learn, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like um, my mom's is turning 76 this year and I see how much she grows and that just gives inspiration for me to see I'll be 49 this year and I'm like dude I don't know Jack in life I got so <laughs> much to learn you know what I mean yeah and, and that's like a, a perfect metaphor for jiu-jitsu too right like no one knows everything in jiu-jitsu and it's ever changing and evolving day to day it feels like you know through like people with competition studying so much tape which is like a great thing nowadays when when you first started jiu jitsu how how has it changed i mean obviously it's changed quite a bit since mm -hmm. 89 but what what is the biggest difference you've seen since like your white belt days to white belt starting now man uh, i tell you what i was, i left a message exchanging message with my good friend of mine bruno bastos he, because um, he was at a Brazilian national, took his kids to compete. And then I was just talking with him about, like, how was back in the day. Now I'm like, I'm watching the thing live mm -hmm. on flow grappling. Yeah. All mats going. <laughs> Man, like, when we started, like, late 80s, early 90s, there's no, at one point they had magazines, right? But they didn't have a magazine. I'm not even talking about internet. So I felt like something that really helped the evolution technically, of course, competition, number one, started to like grow more and more and more uh, in the 90s. But internet, mm -hmm. you know, the access that people start seeing like, because when I started, your only source of basically jujitsu was your teacher. That's it. There's no instructional videos. There's no instructional tapes. You, you know, it's either you watch whatever you learn in class, or you're in a tournament and you watch and see people like, oh, what are they doing? And then people will be trying stuff like that they saw, or a competitor stood out and did something different that people didn't know, and now people are trying to figure it out at, at the school. You know what I mean? So by the time you figure it out, this person already came up with a counter for that, you know, for like yeah. how to deal with that. And that's kind of like how, you know, all that, that transformation uh, go. And now, man, there's so many, um, I feel like you're just a lot more systematic now because of like the amount of guards were developed, the amount of like guard, guard passing to deal with those complex guards. And, um, and I feel that internet, for people who, man, you see some countries, sometimes some competitors out of nowhere, it would be like, man, someone that is obsessed with the process, study, study a lot, got some good group of friends, you know, um, and you see guys from different countries really standing out, you know, like, when would you imagine that Norway would have, like, strong competitors right. like Aspen and Tommy? They do. Uh, they've been in my school before uh, a couple of times. They have great jiu-jitsu and yeah. i know their coach 
uh, Jose Carlos too, very good competitor, good friend of mine that went there and there's not much going on. He's one of the very few coaches in the country, long term and guys obsessed with learning jiu-jitsu, having access online to matches, to break down. Um, yeah, so I think the internet was a big push uh, technically for people to have access to, to positions and for sure competition. You know, competition will, uh, it's just going to push the technique. You know, again, you start having more tournaments. Next thing, someone is doing a, whatever new technique, a new system. Some Someone's going to study how to beat yeah. that. And then you come with a variation and you need a, you know, something to beat that variation and just goes on and on. So be able to see what. Man, Brazilian Nationals, for people who don't know, it's nine days long. And I'm, a, and I'm an event promoter, so I know that it's uh, <laughs> nine days of a tournament with 8,000 competitors. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, 8,000. So um, that dude, uh, Carlos Gracie Jr., he deserves everything he built because he started from, like, you know, I, I saw at the beginning from the first, I think the first Brazilian national maybe had, I don't even know if they had four mats, mats maybe maybe three. I don't remember. I don't think they have four. And it was maybe like a one if, one day event, maybe two. I don't remember. Maybe it was two, but it wasn't as big. And to be able to spread and have the vision. And I've heard many times uh, from people in the early 90s that he would see his vision they will see like one day this is in like early 90s he's saying like one day we're gonna have jiu-jitsu tournaments all over the world happening at the same time people would laugh at him you know what i mean think that he's he's crazy so for you do you imagine how much of a visionary you need to be like you in brazil people don't even know they're finding out about jiu-jitsu because of the ufc and you'd be able to see that, you know, how much you need to trust what you're doing, your yeah. vision, and trusting the art, of course, but trust your, like, your entrepreneurial vision to be able to, like, you know what, this is possible. So he deserves, you know, sometimes people who just start training, sometimes like, oh, they just all about money. It's a company. It is what it yeah. is. It's a company. And what they've been able to provide uh, to the community. Like, all the Brazilians who live, um, I can say all, but jiu-jitsu related. Uh, for example, me. I got my my work visa because of the curriculum that I built, my because of the resume that I built from my BJJF. You know, so that that's how I got. Otherwise, like, who, how would it be here? You know what I mean? So a lot of the coaches, uh, they're here because, you know, they built it, you know, so it's a combination of the effort of the person that, you know, but someone had to provide the event, you know, and you see the pen nowadays. It's, it's a massive event too, but people don't remember that he came here in 1995 to do an event for, 300 people not even between two and 300 people at the same arena that they did for many years in california do you think he made money 
No, they had all the staff, like six, eight people sleeping in one room. They made a lot of effort. So people see right now, it's always pretty after everything is big. So it's easy to <laughs> yeah. just judge and be like, well, do I agree with everything they, they with the managing of the, the company? No, but it's not my problem. You know what I mean? Like so many companies that you're, that you like or people are listening that maybe sometimes they take a decision that are like, mm, I don't know if I like that. It doesn't mean that you're like, now this company sucks. No, maybe you don't agree with the decision that they they made. Do I agree everything with the rules? No. You know what I mean? Do I agree? But overall, man, look how the good that they do for the community. A lot of people don't see that. Mm-hmm. But for me being able to see how they started, um, I had the opportunity to compete at the very first uh, three uh, world championships, 96, 97, 98, and then I moved to the U.S. But being able to see what was it, you know, uh, same thing. I think they had it for the first world. They had, they had three mats. And and now to become what, you know, and now not just I mean, people can make, like, man. Different business made because of jujitsu. Yeah, um, making a living with their passion. Um, back in the days, because um, now, if you say like, "Oh, I want to pursue jujitsu, I want to make a living," I'm like, okay, I want to have a school. But when you're in the nineties in Brazil, say you're gonna make a living in jujitsu, was a full love. You know, you do it <laughs> yeah. because you really like. You know, like I'm going to become a jujitsu teacher because <laughs> I'm going to make all kinds of money. Like. No. Like, I had my whole family saying, like, uh, what is this problem? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it would be like, what's wrong with them? So, because, so like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to, you know, like, you're going to make money with medals. You, sh- you need to get a real job. And, like, what is a real job? You know, so people have different perceptions about the meaning of the word success, you know? Mm-hmm. And back then it wasn't easy, but, I like, I... I trust and I'm like, man, this is this is what I wanted to do, and it, it, it paid off. You know, it wasn't easy, absolutely, but I I make a living on something that I'm that I really enjoy. Yeah, I'm jealous because I'm trying to get there too. With with uh, it's a process. It's a process. Yeah, definitely. Um, what, what's one of the probably the biggest misconceptions people have when they look back at like, let's just say, since you started jujitsu, um, you know, we often hear about you know. You know, jujitsu back in the day, you know, everyone's all like, oh, back when I first started jujitsu. When you first started jujitsu, what's probably the bi- one of the big biggest misconceptions people have about what it was like back then compared to now? Well, it wasn't professional. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was, especially uh, Fabio Gugel, the leader of Alliance, he... I think he got a great analogy of saying, like, if you have trained jiu-jitsu in the 90s and you're still involved with jiu-jitsu to this day, you're part of the select group of the survivors. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> because uh, when competition really start pushing, you know, like, and now we're talking, like, 93, that at least I felt the shift around jiu-jitsu community, how more schools start to to pop out. There's no such a thing as like, here's an intro class. You know, it's yeah. like, bring a gi, here's the ocean, go swim with the sharks, good luck. You know what I mean? There's no, yeah. 
formal thing. And that was basically like, he's just saying like, all right, we're going to put everyone on this, this pool of talent per se. Let's see who's going to stay. Let's see who's going to make our team stronger. So as everything was about really competing and then for a lot of people who are not in that vibe, you're like, dude, I'm just trying to like get my stress out. And you know what I mean? Like next thing, and you are in a, like a heavy, heavy competition team. And if you're like, dude, it's not for me. So, uh, so a lot of people left. So now you protect a lot more, the practitioner introducing have, of course, each school got their own thing, but my school, we do like a intro class, put them away to work with uh with a coach so everyone's gonna come in it's gonna have a you know like a first if it's not a one-on-one sometimes there's two people trying a class but you know like i tell them like hey um when you're just gonna do this intro and when you go to the to the to join the class you're still going to be lost. We're just trying to be less lost. That's all. That's I've all lost we're... every class too. Like I said before, I've been doing it five years. I'm like, I still don't understand all the time. Yeah, but you know, like like anything anything else in in life that you're going to learn, you got to go through that, through, through that process of like the competence, different levels of competency, you know, and at one moment when you think about it, anyone, everyone that is, listening you know like the first phase is, is you like you are unconscious and incompetent that means you're not even are aware of the existence of the thing so of course you're and like incompetent because you're not even know the existence and then maybe the second stage is now you're conscious and competent maybe you like you saw ufc or saw something like oh what is jujitsu about okay so now i I'm, i know the existence of jujitsu and but i'm still incompetent because i've never tried and then the third level is like okay now that's when i start deciding like now you're conscious and comp- at the moment that you took one class you start the competence level competency level so it's like oh you mean competent is one class it's man it's like a spectrum or a graphic or whatever you want to see from zero to going up high so you have one class that's better than zero Mm-hmm. Now you, but you, your competency level, it's just very, very low. Now, there's a book called The Art of Learning, uh, Josh Wainsky. He is, um, it's actually a jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, they have that, that, uh, the movie um, In Search of Bobby Fischer. It's a, a chess movie. Mm-hmm. And so he's a chess prodigy and stuff like that. So very cool book. And he talks about, how competent would you like to be? Do you want to be like, meh, okay, and whatever you're doing. Like, you want to be okay, good, great, one of the best has ever lived. So whatever you're trying to decide your expectations, um, I mean, that would take more of your time to develop that. Until you get to a point that you're the fourth stage that you're unconscious and competent, you're doing things and you're not even realizing that you're doing like at first you're going to do a hipscape and you're like wait this oh no no my body go that side until you get to a point that it's you training there's resistance training and then someone's passing your guard and you're not thinking i need to move my hip out you naturally kind of push and put your hip out all right so to get to that point with anything for anyone that is listening you go through the process of driving a car 
yeah, from a child until you, you realize what a car is. And then for the longest time, you're conscious and you're incompetent. You don't know how to drive and know what a car is. And you get to a point that you're like, oh, I'm taking my first lesson. And then you're driving all stiff, looking over your shoulder. And you know what I mean? Like all conscious of like self-conscious of everything. And you get to a point that now you, you're taxing, drinking coffee, you know, and, and driving around and like unconscious and competent. Right? So in jiu-jitsu, it's not different. It takes time. And jiu-jitsu is super complex, you know what I mean? And it's getting even more and more. It's Sometimes I joke around with a, with my beginners saying, like, man, if anyone play guitar, plays guitar, it's, it's like you're learning how to play guitar. You're trying to strum and play your song, and someone's, like, smacking your hand the whole time while you're trying <laughs> to kind of play your song. Like, dude, let me play my song. It's yeah. like, you just let me try my moves. And someone's, like, ripping your grips, you know. So you need to find a way to get around this all these roadblocks and traps to play your song. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's not simple. That's for sure. Very frustrating. Yeah. You mentioned in there that you do a beginner's class. We, we just recently... Um, introduced a two times a week beginners class and you know some people are for beginners classes and then obviously some people are against beginner classes what do you see as the pros and cons of having like a an on-ramp or an intro into jiu-jitsu at your academy do you have the fundamentals do we have fundamentals no you mean for for my for our class with uh, the fundamentals you mean yeah yeah with your with your fundamentals class I guess it, it's going to take – did I always have that? Absolutely not. Yeah. You know? And it depends on the school too. Like uh, what's the schedule like? Can the – do you, for example, we had two rooms. So sometimes while the beginner's class is happening, the advanced class is going on the other side or intermediate class is going on on the other side. Um, but it really depends. Can you uh, – how many students do you have? There's another beginning. Sometimes you can't. You got to put every everyone together. It is what it is. But if you can add uh, one, I think it's good because I nowadays in my fundamentals class we don't do like full rolling. We do specifics. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay, start from side. Introducing resistance to them slowly, and and eventually, or oh, a lot of when it's up understanding guard a little more like okay your your goal is to pass the guard and the other one defend and then the other one sweep move back but never like full rounds everything specific you learn about the back okay one is trying to finish the other one's trying to escape just slowly but not a lot you know like sometimes um two rounds of three minutes in a position two rounds of three in the other one and that's it you know um just because we see a lot of people hurting themselves and not because other people are hurting they're hurting by themselves like mm-hmm. a common one that you see like people pulling a rib they start spazzing out like ah, and the next <laughs> thing they like pull a rib yeah. you know what i mean and so i need to have always a consistent talk i mentioned to them like i may sound like a broken record but you know like trying to tell them the idea like slow down slow low slow down it's a good thing you know and try to kind of stay on them um the problem is in jiu-jitsu too and the first six months, man, it's very frustrating for a lot of people because sometimes you're training four or five, you're being consistent and you're like, dude, I'm still awful, you know, and yeah. I still like, I don't get it. And the problem is every time you're going to be comparing yourself 
with someone who's been training longer, it's going to be frustrating. You know, people have been training for six months, they train with someone, or sometimes someone train about the same time, but maybe they had a little wrestling background, they're a better athlete, or they come more often or whatever. I think the the best thing to do is like, well, just focus on your journey. So I always say mind your business. You know, if you if you consistently compare yourself to others, you're just gonna drive you crazy and you're gonna you're gonna quit. So Usually when it's about for people to start making, you know, things start making sense about, you know, maybe it depends each one, but like six months, you feel like, like, okay, I was able to hit a position, you know, like start to get, you start seeing a little bit improvement. And sometimes just uh, people cannot take that frustration. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it is what it is. And, but that's, if, if people usually, if people usually can, break over that hump you know the initial like maybe like six months a lot of the times not always but they stop training or because they got hit with life you know and then responsibilities um physically speaking or injury or whatever but in the back of their mind they're like dude i, I like that stuff you yeah. know what i mean and you're gonna have the person that are like i didn't like and that's okay yeah yeah you know people people say jujitsu's is for everyone and if it if we don't make it for everyone then someone it's messing up somewhere and i i don't necessarily agree with that just like you mentioned like some people just don't enjoy the physicality yeah. of it they just don't enjoy the process of of learning at, at your academy when you bring someone in how how do you how do you approach uh, a new practitioner obviously you like you mentioned you have the fundamentals class but um, when they enter that more the advanced class or the class with like the gen pop, uh, how how do you approach that to to foster a, a good environment to make sure that they do want to stay around? Um, we have an intermediate class as well, so we do our best to kind of jump them from the fundamentals to intermediate. Gotcha. You know, uh, depending on depending on the class or their, their schedule, sometimes we have someone that could jump from depend it really depends on the student that can jump from fundamentals to advance and you say like this is the only time i can make it and usually they end up being fine like currently with the, the our 10 a.m class it's an advanced class so usually you don't have many white belts but like the white belts the the few white belts are there because that's the only time they can train, they actually pick. They end up picking up like well because they're working with collar belts. They're reasonable and they're like helping them. Like yo, when when you put your hand here, don't do this, do this. So they consistently so taking that that little kind of beating in a way. But when they go in a beginner's class and they do a specific, you know, and you see the difference night and day, they're like, oh wow, uh, okay. You know, actually, I'm not because I'm always getting my ass kicked here, but in a, by by the collar belts, actually, I'm doing pretty decent. You know, yeah. So, um, I get to a point with everyone, we've even including the collar belts. I'd suggest them like, hey, do not neglect the fundamentals class. Try to come in once a week just to see what's what are we going, you know, what's going on. Maybe it's a day that it's a little lighter day because it'll be more, you know more technique, more drilling, you know, not as much resistance. 
So that is a good trick. Someone's beat up and then I'm like, man, I want to train, but I don't want to go to war. You know, uh, I just want to have an easy day. Yeah. I got a um, 401k to worry about. <laughs> yeah. And then the intermediate, that's when you start kind of trying to develop the beginning of developing, introducing a game, you know, especially with guard related and, of course, passing and um, passing and sweeping, playing guard. Um, one of the things that I do a lot in all my classes, there's always a specific training as far as like situational uh, training, because I feel that for skill development, this is the best training that you can have. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, uh, for example, I, I introduce a new guard, whatever, and then be like, okay, we're going to play for whatever, five minutes, you're only going to be playing this guard tops, trying to pass, pass, move back, sweep, move back. So the feedback is right away, ah, oh, I messed up this foot here. Okay, move back. So because sometimes you learn, let's say, a, a new guard and you go to, you're going to roll whatever, four times, five times. And then sometimes you not even get to get to the position that you want. You know, so at least that kind of force you a little bit. And I always mention, even if that's a good tip for the, the listeners too, even if it, it's a specific system that, Gustavo, I hate that. I got no business, in, you know, using that in my game. I was like, okay, but someone may like and they may use against you. So at yeah. least you need to understand what is going on. <clears throat> what are the, the common patterns of this specific system? What are the ways in and out? So if people are using that against you, at least you have an idea what is going on. So uh, do I use every move that I know? Do I use every guard that I'm like? Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, but especially being an instructor, I need to be aware of what's going on. I'll play around with certain positions. Because, um, for example, <clears throat> I'm not a half guard person at all. I have long legs. Uh like some somewhat flexible so meaning people need to close the distance with me so uh i don't want to give that to them with a half guard it doesn't mean that right. it's bad but for for the way i play i i don't like playing half guard i do play i put myself in half guard yes we do specifics and i'll do you know when i'm just i just feel like i want to play for fun but like i tell people that hey if you see me Playing half guard in a tournament, you know, probably something went south, you know, and something went bad. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wow, Gustav's playing half guard. Like, by the way, it wasn't by choice. Someone got here to my half guard. There's an alarm ringing somewhere that that's, yeah. something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, so that's the beauty of jujitsu. You can custom made your playbook, you know what I mean? Of like what fits your style or your body type, your preference. And, and there are, I, I honestly, I cannot keep up with the amount of like guards that you know out right. there. You know, yeah. I, I can't. It, it is overwhelming if you've tried to, uh, especially now. There's so many, again, internet, so much stuff. Uh, there are a lot of like, sure, a lot of people putting content online, a lot of people that got no business in putting content. And then there's people <laughs> who, you know, are one of the best people in the world. They're very good instructors, yeah. you know, and then like, dude, that it's so much. And that is, want to kind of like you know wait for some of the beginners that get too excited about what's going on on youtube and all other courses and end up getting mediocre in a bunch of stuff you know what i mean instead of like hey develop this here feel pretty good especially 
you know it's always the the broken record like the fundamentals which is true you know and then slowly um too soon too many people trying to do lapels and more complicated guards um without having a very good foundation and they end up memorizing certain games and that this is kind of like the downside of having so much so much information out yeah i was in a, i was in the ask next is um with you know we we mentioned the internet really escalating jujitsu and how people learn it also has uh i i always tell people when you're first starting jujitsu, if your mind is hungry, you should feed it. Yes. Like, don't, you know, be curious, look at these things, right? But be careful who you're watching and what you're watching, right? Because, my, like, my head, I'm sure you can attest to this too. My head, most of the time, can barely remember exactly what's going on mm -hmm. in class. And if I start putting, you know, useful information that I'm not going to use in class in my brain, then I'm like pushing out other things that I probably be, should be working For on. Sure. You know what I mean? At, how, how do you come uh, approach your students that, you know, they want to learn, they want to, you know, outsource, they want to get an instructional, they want to, you know, Instagram, YouTube. How, how do you approach them to make sure that, you know, you're like, Hey, you can do it, but you know, X, Y, and Z, how does that, how does that conversation happen with you? Well, with our advanced class, we do is for the our advanced is not like a set curriculum, okay? Because it's consistently developing, so we go like um, man, because it's so much information. There's so many different systems, so there are topics that I stay on them for could it be two weeks from two months. It depends if you're gonna you know if you work two months on De La Riva, a lot of like top and bottom. Still not enough, you know yeah, what I mean, for, yeah. like, the amount of information. It's good to, like, to develop some good knowledge, but, it, man, it's, it's just so much. Um, so I, I feel like I don't pick up stuff as fast. So usually uh, I stay a little longer on topics. Um, like right now, we've, we're in the same topic going in maybe for, like, a, maybe like the fourth week and and I feel like like playing with the cross sleeve and stuff like that and just giving a lot of options from bottom and how to deal with those positions and dealing now focus a lot on bottom let him do you know the stuff try to let people figure out what to do on top and then um, I start showing top and then how to deal with this so I probably you know like maybe even like at least like two more weeks just given time now if someone wants to study and do a say like hey one work on the topic that the teachers are working yeah you know and now if you feel like there's something that you curious you want to learn about it too i mean you can work on like you know two systems depending on your experience you know how much information you can take but if you have like work on the system that you know our program is using at that specific month and you want to do something that it's either like take advantage to study the topic that we're doing or if you really have been on this kick of like a specific situation or whatever go ahead and use an open mat you know what i mean like um stuff to do maybe try if you're not related something completely different you know what i mean um it could be not just because the reason why I mentioned people why 
specifics are so important. If you, th- I don't know, there's not no study or anything. I'm just throwing numbers at you. <laughs> but like the 80-20. But if you think about it, of course, it depends on your, your the level of your training partner. But at least 80% of the time when you're training jiu-jitsu and people are about the same level, you're either playing guard or trying to pass a guard. The other 20% are like, okay, side mount, mount or back. And there's times that it's 100% depending on your partner passing and playing guard. Yeah. The whole time. You know, so um, as far as, like I said, skill development, this I feel that it's, that's why specifics are so important. Of course, you need to have like, to learn how to put them together. But to learn how to play play a guard um, doesn't work. Move back because sometimes, again, in the middle of training, people get like, "Oh, if I try this here, it's gonna pass. If I pass, I'm gonna be stuck in a side mount. I'm just gonna be here and then not try." And when you do specific, you at least you have that relief that are like, "Okay, if it doesn't work, you know, like we're just gonna get back and and work it again. So let's give it a try. Let's make the." So I always tell them like, "Guys, this is the time to make the mistake." You know what I mean? That's this is the time. See, like the the feedback, it's like it's automatic right there. You know, so that's why I'm always um, one normal training that we do like often in my classes is sometimes could it be okay, be two rounds of six minutes. I'm responsible for pulling guard. You're responsible for for get a takedown. So one person already know like okay, you're the one's gonna be playing guard. So start from your feet. So you need to get to the system that you want to play from your feet. You know, if your partner take you down, you keep going. If a partner pass or you sweep or submit, go back on your feet. You know, uh, fist bump, boom, and go again. Working on getting into a situation. And there will be times they'll be like, hey, pick a system that a guard that you want to play. This one, start from there. You know what I mean? And then same thing, try to pass, try to sweep. And the one that I usually I like to surprise people, say like, get to your the guard that you really want to play. Is that exactly this when everyone is exactly in a position? Say like, okay, now release and flip, put on the other side. If you're controlling the left leg, control the right leg, and everyone start laughing, you know, because some people be like, Not oh, dude, I never side. tried to the side. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that throws you off because you don't want to get in a situation that suddenly. There are certain positions that you can choose, like exactly. There's times that. Someone's going to put you in a situation, whether you like or you don't, now you're dealing with that approach. And I was like, oh, I'm not that used to, you know, when this leg is forward or that control in this hang- angle. Um, to a certain degree, I think uh, most people have a little favorite side to kind of lean to it. So I have guards that I'm very efficient both sides. There's some that I'm better one side than the other. You know what I mean? So that's... That's normal, which is impressive when you see people that can, man, no matter where they land, they're fine with whatever mm-hmm. guard, whatever passing. So this is my suggestion for the for the listeners. Uh, I wish someone had told me this many, many years ago, but especially regarding passing, if you always pass with the right leg forward, you know what I mean? Start practicing leading with your left or if you do or vis- and vice versa, you know? Because I used to be so like, okay, I lead with my right leg, and now I'm just blasting one side over and over and over, and then over over the years start to get better, and I felt like, 
only my black belt that I started to really develop that. And again, different times, different approaches a long time ago. But now, you know, um, often I go, because I got to be ready. Someone's blessing one side. You got to be able to go to the other side, you know, and you see this with like, incredible competitors, the best passers in a business like Lucas Lepre. That dude is amazing both sides. Incredible. You know, passing pressure, incredible. Like Taina, incredible, both sides. So you don't want to get tunnel vision and just get hooked. But to do that, we do need to practice that. You do need to put yourself in the in that situation of leading that. Or maybe the guard that you play, usually you decide that you feel comfortable. Try to lean to the other side. Try to flip your grips, you know? So it's kind of awkward, but that's if you get caught in that situation, it's not something you're like, oh, my God, what do I do? Sometimes people are just going to fight like crazy to lean back to the side that they like. But yeah. there's times that you won't be able to, and you and you better have an answer. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 when we do technique, you know, I, I'll be like my jiu-jitsu and non-jiu-jitsu side. You know what I mean? Like I, the side that I don't typically go. But honestly, I feel like when I practice the my non-dominant side in a move, I focus so much more because mm -hmm. it's like so unnatural to me. And a lot of times my buddies are like, well, that was actually better pressure or it felt smoother because I'm like so hyper-focused on every single step because I don't typically go that way. And uh, it's it's still hard to like convince myself to do that, right? Because I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Stop me going my good side. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. stop me from going the good side. And then I'll have to go to the other side. But if you don't stop me, then I'm going to, then why would I, why would I not? But it's definitely, I, I agree, uh, drilling both sides from the beginning, I wish I would have focused a little bit more on because I, I, I would imagine, obviously, hindsight 2020, uh, I would be a much better practitioner now than I, I, I am. But yeah, I as, tell as people, you know, for example, takedowns, like let's say judo takedowns, I'll say like whatever, uh, whatever throw, maybe like a like Osorogari or whatever, like a basic sweep uh like leg sweep so i don't think i ever drill you know grabbing with my left on a collar right on a sleeve because that one i'm choosing where what route i want to go on that way you know what i mean no one's forcing me to grab it with the with the left you know so if i'm fighting if i'm getting there it's because i wanted to grab for that specific uh position you know, but it's not, it's different when you're playing guard, someone flips your hip, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm playing at the side that I didn't really want to. Yeah. Now, on your feet, you go by your your choice. You want to put this leg forward? Okay, you want to put this leg forward. You want to reach the collar, the left or the right? You choose. No one's forcing you to grab anything. You know what I mean? You got yeah. to roll with it. But now on the ground, they can definitely put in, not that you cannot in um, on, on your feet. But for sure, it's not. It's not in the in the ground. You're gonna you're gonna see people like, and that's a, a tip too for for people who maybe don't pay much attention to it. When you start training and your partner pull guard and they lean to one side, get a day to just focus on attacking weak side. Maybe it's weak side, maybe it's not. But if they lean into the right, we really like let me focus on try to put him leading might have to switch your legs leg stance let's try to pass to the other side either they go into accept 
And then like, okay, they turn and they start playing or they're going to fight, kick and scream to be on their favorite side. So when they do that, they're like, ha, they don't like this side. So that's a good way for you to start, a good trigger for you to start attacking like a possible weak side. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump into your your nonprofit that you have. Um, Man, I absolutely love it. And probably one of my favorite things is called Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, right? Yes, sir. And one of my favorite things that um, I enjoy about what you're doing is you are showing real life. Where's the money going? What are we doing? You know, how are you helping these people uh, through the organization? Can you go into a little bit of like what Jiu-Jitsu Tribe is and what your mission is? Yeah, for people who never heard, there's not many no. Uh, Nonprofit related to jujitsu, let's say even here in US. Um, but I started in 2010. There's something that I always wanted to do. I felt like in Brazil, like, man, I'd love to have a, like a social project or whatnot. And when I moved to the US, uh, I knew that um, I, I knew that I was going to get involved with social work. I just didn't know how. And until officially, you know, so established in 2010. And we start helping with basically the idea is to the mission is aligned with my life mission that is to inspire people, in, impact people, and improving their lives, uh, utilizing jujitsu as a personal and social development tool in impoverished communities, especially areas that uh, people cannot afford, they don't have access. And one of the questions that I that I have and I always talk with people if I'm doing a presentation or something and and something for you, the listener, to reflect is and a question for you too. Do you believe the world would be a better place if more people train jiu-jitsu? And when you think about it, start reflect like, huh, yeah, most likely, yeah, when you look at all the benefits that jiu-jitsu bring, people's life would be like, for sure, man, yeah, it would, it would be a better place. However, not everyone have access to it or can afford it. And that's when, when the organi- organization comes in. Uh, in the U.S., we only have one program that will help because that's the only – it's been for about 10 years. It happens to be – lucky that it happens to be in Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, higher ground. Jensen does an incredible job. He was able to put jiu-jitsu in a school district in Tucson and doing an, an amazing job to – uh, the University of the U of A, they did like a study of like with kids um, that got in trouble, uh, like juvenile, they got in trouble with the law or behavior and stuff like that. And they started training jujitsu and then like how much they improved. So their, their view is the same thing that we believe. Jujitsu is an incredible way f- as a therapy, you know what I mean? Like or helping a lot of those kids. But we should think more about prevention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like introducing that first so minimize bullying situation, you know, or someone bullying someone and because of uh, jiu-jitsu. So we have two approaches with the organization. One is the mental health. That is currently we only have this in Arizona. I would love to expand, but um, – Three years ago, we started a pilot. We did a partnership with this behavior center called Resilient Health. So basically, kids with anxiety disorder, depression, and they already work with a mentor. And the idea is 
to implement jujitsu and part of their kind of treatment per se. You know, so I did it in my school, so the pilot went well. We probably did it with a good like between fifteen and twenty kids. And but the problem is this specific center is about forty five minutes away. So the logistics was kind of an issue. And for people who don't know, I've been promoting tournaments for 25 years. And I'm the owner of the Arizona Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu League. So I started to do this partnership with Jiu-Jitsu Tribe that reaching out, like, the center to tell us, like, hey, we have a 12-year-old, this and that, tell the story. Uh, They live this area here. Is there any school that wants to get involved? So we got a bunch of schools in the Valley who are doing the six-month program sponsorship. They provide the gi, and they come to class. So in three months, they check in, make sure that you know they're enjoying, everything's okay, the mentor is in contact with the school. And after six months, reevaluate and see, like, do I want to renew? Are they still working with the organization? It's like introducing jiu-jitsu to them. And, man, I was able, it was incredible to see, like, the changes you know, that I that I really, everyone that is listening to this, you know, have practiced jiu-jitsu. I guarantee, um, it's tough for me to guarantee, but longer you've been training jiu-jitsu, that you're going to have one person that you've seen a transformation. A kid, adult, or something like, dude, that guy, he doesn't say anything. Now he's, you know, he's talking more like a child or whatever. So I was looking into, especially in we're using as therapy, but the same idea, try to use as prevention. I was, uh, so when I do some seminars, I do some presentations about uh, Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, and I was doing some study about the past 20 years, I think there are about like 4,000 kids under 12 years old that kill themselves. And and they get, I, so I was reading like 12, 12 cases, you know. So all of them bullying uh, related, all of them, and some of them with sexuality um, related to. They had one little kid that uh, uh, she hung herself six years old that have kids telling her, you should cure yourself. You know what I mean? So six years old. So that is an example of prevention of a kid to be able to step up for for himself. You know what I mean? Maybe like, hey, no. And then someone touch him they'd be able to defend themselves. So that is our mental health approach. So I'd love to, when they get to a point that, okay, we'll do a partnership with someone, it doesn't matter, in uh, in Dallas. And then now we look, I'm talking about like a behavior center that believes in jiu-jitsu too because some people are going to think liability, they don't know much and they don't know about it. Like, oh, no, I don't know about that stuff. You know, um, so they might be kind of skeptical at first. But this is one approach, you know, the the mental health uh, and kind of more of the therapy. And the second approach is social project sustainability. So helping with even giving mats um, or geese, constructions, you know. So we've done a lot of different things to help. And a big one that we started to focus in the past few years and you have a program called Adopt a Social Project to pay the coach because all those coaches are volunteers. So many programs, including U.S., for people who have started teaching for free, there's one point they say, like, dude, I need to get another job or I need to do, you know, and then and then the program ends. So one of our main, because in the beginning, 
We used to support like paying entry fee for tournaments, which is great. You know, tournaments are um, a great tool also. However, if if there's no structure there, there's no sustainability, there's no program, there's no tournament. So we decided to kind of cut off, you know, whatever I do with tournament related is more like in a personal level. Um, but the organization, uh, not really. However, um, this year we started a um, personal development institute in Brazil, in the south of Brazil. Uh, close in the state called Rio Grande do Sul, and a program that a social project that I've been helping for a long time, and I always wanted to have some type of institute like that that you teach social emotional learning, financial education, basically stuff that you don't learn in school, right? And preparing teenagers for the for the market and having jujitsu as their PE program. So we started the process in January. So right now. Um, uh, we just on the legal aspect, all the paperwork and everything that helps to apply for grants and so forth. So the jujitsu is happening. You have a, a a little warehouse just for the jujitsu, but now we're preparing to rent a house that are gonna have the rooms to actually have classes like English classes and and so forth. So this is one way that the institute. So we have the institute that helps other organizations, but now we put in focus on having like one main program that we uh, help be able to bring some some students to travel internationally uh, to like especially make the connection with my events opportunity to see the world you know and that it's a huge impact you know imagine if you just don't have anything and you're just living in favelas and in shootings and all that kind of yeah. stuff and you get exposed man it, it changes you know it does something to you so we'll have multiple stories like that so right now, um, so one of the things that I'm doing, uh, I'm starting to get involved in promoting tournaments in Brazil for uh, dedicated to social projects. So that's pretty cool. We're going to have our first uh, Jiu-Jitsu Tribe Cup July 2nd. So I'm going back to Brazil next month. And great organization, uh, a lot cheaper uh, entry fee. They have a, like a nice like lunch like nice, nice lunch that it paid for. So, and whatever it's extra, whatever money that is actually a, a profit is just basically back in the institute to keep providing, and not just the institute, but helping other organizations in Brazil too. It's during that whole explanation. What like struck me the most is when you mentioned Carlos Gracie Jr. earlier and how he was such a visionary. And, you know, people were calling him crazy for what he was seeing and whatnot. And to hear you now making such a huge impact with, you know, kids in, uh, in unfortunate situations and, you know, low in low income areas and whatnot. Did you ever uh, think that you would be in the position you are now to make such a big impact on so many lives through jujitsu? No, and honestly, sometimes I don't even realize Um you know, people mention, and I don't know, I, sometimes I'm extremely naive, you know, about that, but I get to travel and go there and see the places, and I think as you get older, you know, start to develop, and just more and more the, the need of, like, 
helping more, doing something, mm. and especially coming from Brazil. And and I'll tell you what, and this is not just Brazil, but especially since I travel there often to see the projects. I don't, you know, I don't talk about getting involved with politics or whatever. But man, politicians are not concerned about poor people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> what, um, dude? You know, sorry about the breaking news. <laughs> But, like, I go to places and I'm like, dude, these people are freaking forgotten. Yeah. Like, in the middle of nowhere, like, places that have been with awful floods, like, how they bounce back the community together. The the government don't even go there like, hey, you guys deal with it. You know what I mean? Like, dude. Like, so, but even in the U.S., you have rough areas in the United States to everywhere, of course, it can compare Brazil with United States. But dude, there's a lot of poverty in the United States too. You know, and a lot of people just forgotten. You know, that's for sure. So I feel jiu-jitsu, it's a it's a great tool. And it could be other sports too. You know, you see like I had two main takeaways. I was in Brazil in February shooting like some doc series. Actually, the first one should be coming out maybe sometime next week. Uh, just visiting some of those favelas, some of those slums, and seeing the impact of jiu-jitsu impoverished communities with different topics and so forth. And I saw like, so that was, I was there for like just seven days. But there was like intense seven days because each day I'm shooting going to a place and then I was like, number one, um, Brazil screwed. You know, um, the politicians are like, you know, the places that were like, dude, no garbage truck comes here. We're on top of the hill. They don't care. You know what I mean? And and two was that like about how much like the poor people are fully forgotten. And again, this is worldwide. You know, and. I don't know what Brazil or even in you other countries um, across the world, including U.S. too, but again, the United States being a first world country, but like the importance of nonprofit organizations and those areas, man, there's some incredible soul saving lives like no BS, like straight up. They are literally saving lives. And... One uh, like I was we, now we're working on editing this visit, but like in a rural area in Rio, completely forgotten. And there's a kid, there's 11 years old, tried to kill himself. You know the whole the whole story. And and I interviewed the mom, and I asked the mom like, because the the son already done some uh, work with psychologists or whatever, you know, do all that stuff, and nothing really kind of gets him going and they got access to uh to jujitsu one of the programs that we're actually giving geese to them to um i said how how long did it take for you to see the improvement and she goes like because now she's training for the past this was in february was three months and and she said like three days oh wow. so i've seen the interest because it's not just the jujitsu but is the environment that they created, which is like, there are about a hundred families that are registered in the program, and the lady Aline, her husband is actually a UFC fighter. Um, 
we met in one of the UFCs, you know, years ago. I got involved with managing um, MMA for for a little bit, and we uh, developed a relationship. And she knows everyone's name and everyone's story, you know. So in the place that all the kids, they really feel accepted. There's no bullying. There's no, you know what I mean? Like they. Yeah. So this kid walks one hour and a half to arrive to this place. He walks in a like dirt road for an hour and a half to train jiu-jitsu. You know what I'm saying? That's so crazy. when there's no way for you to be exposed to some of those, you know, visits that I go over there and I see and not touch you in a way of like, dude, some people are complaining they need to hop in the car for like 15 minutes. Like, oh God, I need to drive. <laughs> and then like yeah. this kid is walking it an hour and a half. He's 12 years old. You know, so it's like, you know, so it's uh, it's incredible to see um, because there's so many. When you did this documentary, like right now, this one's related to this one that's coming out. It's related to like drug trafficking and drug addiction. So it's drugs related and how jujitsu able to. And let's talk about especially drug trafficking in Brazil. It's not just this little middle class, like little drug dealer. No, we're talking about like. Like straight up gangster, <laughs> you know, like it's like a bad. And so that was the day was focused on that. And then one day we focused on this day, uh, the one with the, the kid that tried to kill himself was mental health related. One day was special needs. One day was um, competition, kind of like the power of competition. There is one girl, the current number one female competitor in the IBJJF. Circuit. Uh, her name. Uh, her name is Gabriele Pesanya. She's been winning double gold in all the tournaments. You know, worlds, pans, Europeans. She's. She's what twenty one, maybe. I don't know. She's incredible. And she's from City of God, um, and one of the programs that we've been helping for for a while too. Now they they have a great partnership going on. Um, but man, that girl started training twelve years old in a favela, and then this girl now supports her whole family. You know That's what I mean? Great. Because of jujitsu, travel around the world because of jujitsu. So that is a big, big difference in between. There's so many good instructors, dude, in the United States now. There's some incredible high level ones, right? Uh, you're gonna see more foreigners kind of standing out for sure. But one thing, man, that Brazil has and the United States for the most part don't have is that necessity is a hell of a motivation. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you're like, yo, dude, either you'd be good at jujitsu, that's it. I don't know what else to tell you. You know what I mean? Or either you're going to deal drugs here, you're not going to get out of the, the favela. You know what I mean? You're probably not going to get a good education. Chances are so when they really bank on like, okay, I'm really taking so, of course, they have good instruction, but they have the extra grind of like, this is how I'm going to really eat and support my family. That is, so that is an extra push that unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, in the United States, someone can be a competitor, boom, it's awesome, and get to a point that, okay, want to get a job, and then I don't, you can get a job in you in Brazil. It's not that simple. Oh, I'll just go and rent a place and get a job and start my life. <laughs> that is not like that at all. 
That's one of the reasons, um, especially in South America, people stay home a lot later than U.S. Here in U.S., you know, you finish high school, many parents are like, yo, you got to pack, dude. Peace. You got to go. <laughs> like, yeah. and in Brazil, it's not that simple, man. It's not. The, the, the minimum wage is just... If you're lucky, you're going to have to go to a favela way, way up there, you know what I mean, to barely survive, and it's just not an... I don't know how they make it. I really don't know. I really don't know. The way things are expensive and, and people with multiple family and minimum wage that I'm talking about, $250 per month, you know what I mean? I'm like, I really don't know. Like, they're magicians. I don't know how they make it, you know? So... Having that opportunity of introducing a sport, it happens to be jiu-jitsu. They have different things. They have art. They have dance. They have a lot of different activities, a lot of the programs. You know, it's just the main thing because it's so tempting uh, for for those kids to get involved in uh, drug dealing. You know, they do have a career path for them. So they don't have to do much. And just to be, you know, just being a watcher, just to let, them know if the cops are coming you start um with a kite or with a whistle or whatever you're gonna make more money than mom and dad together without carrying anything and that's how they catch them first how they hook them first next thing you start carrying delivering now you're dealing you know so they have like different phases and one of the the guys that i that i uh interview he was one of the the local leaders of the community and he started training jiu-jitsu as a kid so he would kind of go back and forth you know until he got to a point that he was able to uh, get out because of really because of jiu-jitsu you know and and it's not an easy thing to get out because usually it's not much except it's not like oh I want to stop dealing and many times you need to leave the neighborhood you need to bounce because they don't have good acceptance to that. They kind of tolerate, you know, those social workers, you know, those jujitsu instructors kind of like they tolerate because they know they're going doing good. But kind of like, hey, you're kind of hurting our business here, too. You're taking the kids from us, you know. So it's a very thin, dangerous line. How, how do you – I mean, you talk a lot about like mental training and, and whatnot and mental coaching. How do you keep yourself level-headed and not let it get to you seeing these situations when you go back to Brazil and you're like, man, this kid's walking an hour and a half just to train jujitsu. Like, how how do you like tell yourself, you know, like, like don't let it get to you. You're doing something good. Just stay motivated. Keep pushing. Like, how does that conversation with yourself go, dude? I tell you what. Like, for example, this last trip was, and I had one in December too. It's very emotionally draining. I like, bet. usually I don't sleep that much in a flight. And, like, one of my last trips to Brazil, literally, I sat. And then before, the, I just kind of woke up. The, the plane was taken off, and I woke up in Miami or whatever. Like, I passed out for, like, 10 hours just being emotionally drained. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't sleeping much because all day doing doing stuff and then when you get home you you hit the bed i mean yeah your brain's spinning and and then i woke up and like oh crap you know like i need more sleep and then boom we go again so a week of that and <clears throat> as tough as a, a browse 
uh, the the geek company. I know the owner Hanato is one of our supporters, so they do an incredible job with the Browse Foundation in Pakistan. And we're talking about this, like basically what you mentioned. Um, it kind of messes with you for a few days, but you come back with like inspired to do more, not to do less. Mm -hmm. Even though I see like, dude, they're screwed. Period. Like some of the place I go, like. I, I don't think they even know that these people exist, and they got, and especially Brazil, the corruption, South uh, South America, Central America. If people think the United States corrupt, every country has your level of corruption. You know what I mean? But like when it talks South and Central America, dude, woo-wee. it's it's rough. It's very tough, and they don't care. So. Um, being able to, I just feel like more and more. Uh, every year and as I get older I, I don't know I just feel my heart just kind of like like I need to do more you know and uh, you want to do more here locally too in the United States um, but we don't have as many social projects of course but we can do those partnerships or, or those those centers are awesome plus like you have you know the Swan in, in Tucson which is incredible provide help them with like one of my tournaments and one sponsor you know um, I turn my goal, it does a partnership so they, they don't pay for uh, registrations. Uh, so we send geese. Sometimes I've done geese drives and gave, send geese to them. You know, uh, they do an incredible job, incredible. And, but it can have more programs like that with other sports. Jiu-Jitsu is one of them, but, you know, uh, I, I feel like I, I kind of created a little... Uh, how can I say a little scale in a way? Uh, I feel like when you start talking about social work, if you think there's a level of you do a donation, which is awesome. Someone donated. It doesn't matter. You know, we don't donate it like five bucks. You donate it. You're helping. And then the next level is you donate with your time because money, you know, even though you can give like a lot of money, but man, donating your time, you know, it's huge. And then there's another level, uh, a big step up is someone that starts a program, like a social project. I'm going to teach you just for free, or I'm going to teach music for free for kids or whatever. So this is already like a different level of commitment. You're running a program. And then uh, the next one I like to call the unicorns because they are the community leaders, not only he takes care of his own little program, but he takes care of that program across the street and the other one. So he's like trying to help anyone that is involved in a good thing. They're trying to do not just for their own place, you know. And the evolution of this unicorn I see as the social entrepreneur, you know, uh, someone that it's – they create everything that they're making is to put it back into a program to create their own sustainability to keep serving and not always running because that's the biggest challenge for the organizations. Sustainability. Consistently be looking for donors. Consistently be trying, you know, that's a struggle for us to have money. Like I'm, I do uh, jiu-jitsu seminars. So I was, I was in a road for three weekends in a row. Um, Virginia, uh, Nevada, and North Carolina. Uh, three weekends in a row raising money uh, for the organization. So with this money, 
we can go and provide geese or help with other things. And but but it's so much that I can travel, you know. So I so I need to find like different ways to raise money, partnerships, you know, with companies or donors or whatever. So it's it's a big challenge, not just for us, for any nonprofit organization. And I always tell, like, if you listen to this, it's not like, hey, do- donate to us. No, dude, donate to eight nonprofit that you relate, that you believe in the mission. Five dollars, five dollars. If five hundred people give five dollars, that's that's good. You know, I I support um, I support uh, charity water. If people have more interest, take a look at charitywater.org. I'd rather uh, uh, Scott. I forgot his last name right now. Um, he wrote a book called Thirst. So it's all about the providing water. And that's uh, Browse Foundations evolved with that too. They do that work, you know, through charity water. But there are places like people don't have water, dude. That's wild. They don't have clean water. And you see the glass that they're drinking like, oh, my God. You know, so they do an incredible job. And I donate 30 bucks per month. And I've been doing it for like almost five years. 30 bucks, not going to cut my arms. And for the for the... For the mission that they have, the incredible, great, um, uh, and I learned a lot of stuff like watching them bringing stuff to our organization from what we're we learning, um, what are they doing, and it's incredible work. So my suggestion is like, dude, support a organization. Like I can't afford, like, come on, dude, everyone can give like five bucks. Yeah, like, you know, and it's it, it. I'm not saying it needs to be that. Some people can do more. Some people less. But like five bucks, you know. Like, and I'm not saying just on recurring, recurring payments because this is important too. Organizations need to have their, and in order to serve, you know, well, yeah, we they need more more money, you know, to give more money. Um, we need. Yeah, we definitely need to raise more money. So it's a challenge, and we have a few different routes that we use, like the Adopt a Social Project program, which is something that we do for business owners, even individuals or academies, associations, or whatever, that we have a list. Actually, there's a list back here with the programs that we we work on, and they have a monthly uh it's actually for the Adopt Social Project, it's 300 bucks. Some people say, oh, my God, that's way too much money. Okay, but it depends what is much money for you. But um, if you put a jar in a school in your academy and say like, yo, we're supporting the social projects, you know, and then we kind of keep in contact so people know, you know, like you're in contact with the project as well. And every month we send 300 bucks. Um, whoever wants to come in at the end of the month, you know, just tip in whatever you want, a dollar, coins, whatever. And at the end of the month, you know, if you didn't reach the 300, you know, the academy puts the difference. That could be an option, you know what I mean? But that's something that is is totally doable. Now we have for people who don't know, we have we talked before um, recording. We have this partnership with Browse. They give us a good price, a good deal, and we do three batches a year. We just finish our first one. Uh, very cool gi too from from Browse. It's a it's not a just like it's actually a Browse gi, and for every gi purchased, one gi is actually uh, produced for a social project you know so uh right now we just we did some extra ones the organization up man we basically clean up our account to like to make a first uh round of geese to give the geese 
plus we sold we didn't sell uh that many because it's new a lot of people don't know about it so now people are like oh can i buy it like wow we're gonna have our next um shipment so if you guys want you can jump in and so we just start giving sending the geese out we're recording this now beginning of may so we start passing them out and we'll be arriving in brazil in about two weeks and start showing people like yo these are the people um, we sent 150 geese, but for this batch, I think we sold like close to 50, which is cool. That's 50 geese that, you know, the person who donated can see like, oh, wow, that's because of me that I didn't have others that we put the money and there's some of the donors that actually purchased. And we put two for a tax write-off and that people can use and don't buy because, yeah, you're buying something, but it is a donation, you know, so that's, you know, something that um people can take advantage if they want yeah man i absolutely love the organization i love your mission and what you're doing for people and like i mentioned before too i love that you know you you put out there what you're doing and showing where you know these kids are and their journey along with how you're helping them and i think that makes a big difference especially in today's social media age where anyone can start a a nonprofit, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this to help these people, and then you don't really ever see the tangible evidence of what's going on with them. So I really appreciate, and I'm sure people at home will really appreciate. If you haven't people, looked at their Instagram, you guys definitely should. Yeah, it's in Brazil, especially people are super skeptical about nonprofits, which sucks. Yeah, because, um, you know, you have like bad people doing bad things everywhere yeah right taking advantage like everywhere like finding a way um to scam people here and there there's everywhere in the world but i but i always mention to my friends a lot about jesus christ brazil is different they take it to another <laughs> level god damn it dude like some yeah. guys they always uh they have like a lot of like inside jokes between brazilians and one of them is brazilians are creative you know, so they always, you know, say like when you see some of like the scams that they have and they always they always joke around like, man, I wish, you know, they use their creativity for the good. It'd be like, yeah. how did he come up with this? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So Brazil has got to be one of the top like scam artists in the world. They got to come from Brazil. It's incredible. Like, how the hell did he think about that? You know, there's some some of the things we always say, like. Just in Brazil, you know, some of the things you hear, like, no way, you know, yeah. but you have like bad people. So now transparency, yeah, it's, it's important for people to feel, to feel comfortable, you know, that it's actually going somewhere. Well, we like to end every show with, if you could give one piece of advice to a brand new practitioner in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what would it be? To mind your own business, to focus on your own journey. I know, especially in the Instagram days, that everyone looks awesome on Instagram. And how come this guy already prom got promoted or this person won a tournament or whatever? Um, I talk about, uh, what is his name? Dan Sullivan. I think it's Dan Sullivan. He's a, a strategic coach from, from uh, Canada, I believe. So he got a little very thin book. It's more a theory that he has, but he has a very thin book, you know, about um, the gain and the gap that fits really well, like, especially your beginning of the journey in jiu-jitsu, you know, like, uh, 
he talks about sometimes feels like you walking in a desert and you see like the sun and then or the sunset or whatever you see and you like you start walking towards like I'm getting there and then you're like dude I keep walking I just don't get there I just I cannot get there so now I start getting frustrated uh, because you're focusing on that that gap in between where you are and where you think you should be. And the white belts, they start training, they see people moving really well, or maybe someone that maybe they've been training, you know, not as long as they have, and they keep looking to the horizon and seeing, like, what's wrong with me, you know, like, how come I cannot get there? But they forget about to focus on the game, meaning, like, dude, look how far you walked, you know what I mean? Uh, the best comparison for all the white belts there, and that it's kind of like a joke I do with some of the beginners, especially when they kind of like they go through like or not even hit a plateau. It's just like I I just don't know what to do, you know. Like I've been training and it'll get better, and then sometimes three months, and I go like, hey, if you had a match of you right now against you, day one, the day that you came here for your intro class who would win you know so they always joke you know they always laugh because be like now my old me to have a chance of like exactly that is the point that is like the game that's where you need to focus you can if you if you focus and then next thing you transfer this to your life and then you buy a house but the neighbor's house is bigger you mm -hmm. had a you know a nicer ride than yours and then you go and you go to a different neighborhood and you buy another house but in that house there's there's another house that is bigger, and if someone's more financially successful, or they have a better car, so now you you always like in search of the happiness, you know what I mean, or the that is you just never gonna reach. Instead of like, dude, look where I'm living, you know what I mean. I used to live with my parents, or I used to live in a you know like a messed up place or whatever. Look where I'm at. Maybe you're not where you think you should be. You know what I mean? Like down horizon and it should be this and that. Easier said than done. But like I said, in the social media days, it's challenging. You know, a lot of people, they look cool. I'm like, man, this guy's traveling all over the world. Well, they don't know about his credit card. <laughs> that, you know, yeah. like, so uh, you don't know, you know, uh, everything looks. And that's why, you know, you see more and more, you know, like depression, teenagers, you know, of like, look how many followers, how come I don't have as many followers? They have like, this person didn't like, you know, all that stuff. It's, I'm very glad in a way um, I didn't grow up with social media. You know what I mean? It was a different time and there's no such a thing, you know. Uh, first time I saw a cell phone, I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's a cell phone, like the brick Corolla, you know, looks like a brick, yeah. you know, and they're like, oh my God, look at that thing. That's incredible. <laughs> You know, so, but now it's just so, uh, so insane. But anyway, my, my tip is just mind your business, um, not only in jujitsu, but so many lessons, right, that you have in jujitsu that you apply, personal, professional. This is one of them. Mind your business, focus on improving, and hopefully, you know, like every day is a little better, 1% better. That's that's a great point, man. Hey, so if people want to follow you and see what you're doing with your nonprofit and follow you on social media, where can they find you at? Uh, just go to Instagram, Gustavo Dantas BJJ. I have like a link tree there with 
you know, a, a bunch of stuff that I do from academy to events to podcasts. Sometimes I do a little way too much, so I've been trying to cut down uh, with time, but uh, that's when my ADD takes over and then <laughs> my plate is full and like, nice, my plate's full. Let me get a bigger plate so we can put more stuff in, you know, but, for, you know, so we can get most information um, on my Instagram and a little bit of everything I do there in Jiu-Jitsu Tribe uh, at Jiu-Jitsu Tribe dot, dot org, as I mentioned, next month going to Brazil again, uh, spending about a week there, uh, visiting some new places, uh, to the tournament, see the potential place that we are actually having the classes for the institute. So that's what really makes me happy. I like I like to go to Brazil and go to nice places, sure, but it's just something that with me that I, I love going there and seeing the not-so-good places too, you know what I mean? And see the, the reality. And I feel like even though as messed up with the scenarios they, that, that I see, in a way, I feel recharged when I, when I go back, not depleted, you know what I mean? I, I might be exhausted for, you know, like initially getting just hit with that reality. Uh, it's nothing new, but... Every time you get to go to some of those places, I go in, the drug dealers, the cartel needs to be notified. They need to allow us to go inside. They need to allow us to record. You know what I mean? So I'm walking around and there's like the drug dealers like packing, doing their stuff there, kids playing around normal. You know, and they put tents. I saw looking over and you now I like this is one of the hills and they have tents. They start putting tents in all those little small little corners, you know, like all those shacks, and I saw looking up, and then he was, he noticed that I was one of the community leaders, he noticed that I was looking, and he said, like, you know why they, they do that? I'm like, why? Because now the police is using drones, so mm. they see what's coming up, so now they start covering, so they don't know where they're packing, why they're doing all this stuff, I'm like, dude, that's a cat and mouse game, you know, like, <laughs> you gonna do this? Okay, I'll yeah. do this, and I'm like, this is not going anywhere, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, you know, like, is damage control and try to support those social projects and keep uh, inspiring some people. And hopefully, you know, in jiu-jitsu, little by little, people can connect more. You know what I mean? And yeah, if jiu-jitsu is a tribe, uh, jiu-jitsu tribe is the organization you want to support. But if not, they have uh, Guardian Gym. Uh, that is Guardian Gym is the I think is the site. Uh, but the Guardian Project, it's another organization in the U.S. who has supported them. Uh, before do, before they um, they do an incredible job. They go to certain neighborhoods that are tougher too, and and sponsoring kids. So there's there are great organizations out there. We just talked with the We Defy Foundation, you know. Great so organization. They help with the the military, yep. you know. So there are many. If you want to help a nonprofit organization related to jujitsu, you know, just just go to Google. And nonprofit jujitsu organizations, you find someone and help out, even if it's five bucks. You know what I mean? Five bucks per month, you know, um, it goes a long way. I know that's one thing I need to get 
bigger into do is uh helping with charity and whatnot so jiu-jitsu tribe definitely is going to be getting some of my business especially when the next gi order comes out because like you mentioned i saw them on your website i was like man that's a fresh gi i gotta get one of those Mm. things and help out so but hey gustavo thank you so much for coming on the show today man this was a phenomenal conversation i am so thankful that you got to come on and spread the word and message about you and and what you're doing and helping people so uh thank you so much for that let us know what you guys think at home thank you guys so much for listening and watching and uh remember no checks here later peace <laughs>